Thank you for listening to a Quiet Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and, and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. 11 verses 1 through 10, the sermon title today is Chosen by Grace. Chosen by Grace. Depending upon what church background that you have been a part of, and depending upon what end times theology you have most experience with, and these two words are described, the theological words are depending upon your ecclesiology, so that's your understanding of the church, and your eschatology, you will have heard more or less about the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel. Many of us grew up in, in backgrounds, church, church backgrounds, where we heard about Israel all the time. Uh, there was the Star of David in the church building. Uh, there's prophecy about Israel all the time. And there's always the prophecy watch going on. And so you see on uh, the Christian television or the Christian website the new prophetic things that are going on in, in Israel. And you just want to think, talk, and know about Israel. And so that's primarily... Uh, has to do with their understanding of the church in Israel. It has to do with ecclesiology and eschatology. So premillennial brothers and sisters and more non-denominational or Baptist churches will talk a lot about Israel and more about Israel than more Presbyterian churches, more confessional churches, uh, more than what's called all-millennial eschatology churches or post-millennial churches. But today and over the next couple weeks, we're going to be coming at this primarily thinking about ecclesiology, but we're going to be seeing in chapter 11 a lot about the Jews and the Gentiles, Israel and the Gentiles. And so Paul's going to take us there, and he's going to answer some questions, and primarily what he's going to be dealing with isn't so much about eschatology, although that, that is going to be here. It's not so much about ecclesiology, although that is going to be here. The bigger question is, has God rejected Israel? Has he rejected his people? Or not? I mean, has God just washed his hands with Israel? Who is Israel? Who is the people of God? These are questions that Romans chapter 11 is going to answer through the Apostle Paul and ultimately through the Holy Spirit. There are going to be a lot of question marks over the last next couple weeks. More next week and the week following that than this week. There's going to be a lot of question marks where we're going to have differing perspectives and there's going to be just kind of some shrugging of the shoulders a little bit to say, you know, I really don't know. There are some mysteries here in ways that we don't find mysteries in other places of the Bible, things that if a lot of people scratching their heads and wondering, what does the full inclusion of Israel mean? And you'll read 10 commentaries and you'll have seven or eight different opinions in those 10 different commentaries from 10 different authors. So why are some Jewish people in the Old Testament and New, why are some Jewish people saved and others not? That's going to be the primary question that we're dealing with today. Why are some Jewish people saved and other Jewish people not? Is it because of something they have done or because something God did? And it seems like an easy answer. We're going to see God's grace today and we're going to see God's power today. But I want to just review quickly a few weeks ago in chapter 9. We talked about how there is an Israel within Israel. There is a group of people in the Old Testament who believed in the covenant promises that God gave Israel that were a part of the nation of Israel. 
But the bigger group of the nation of Israel did not believe in the promises of God. They just came from the line of Abraham. So you had this big nation of Israel, and you had believers and non-believers within the nation of Israel. We're going to be talking a little bit more about that today. That remains the case today. Within the Jewish people, there is a mass exodus of, of Jewish people who have rejected, we see this in the New Testament, who have rejected Jesus as the Messiah, but still to this day, there are Jewish people, Messianic Jews, who believe Jesus to be the Messiah. And so we're going to see some answers to some of the questions that we've probably thought about in the past this morning. And here's the deal. Uh, we're going to see a lot of God's grace this morning. We're going to see words like election again, or the elect, or chosen by grace. We're going to see works of the law. And here's what I'm committed to as we, we preach through this, this chapter, and hopefully you've seen as we preach through the book of Romans. Um, I want to be more determined in 2020 to, be, uh, to never be embarrassed by the Bible. That really was a challenge for me walking into 2019 was to not be embarrassed by the Bible or not cringe at anything in the Bible, to not kind of shy away from verses in the Bible. And I just want to challenge us fresh and anew this morning, just be resolved to not be embarrassed by anything that God has to say. You hear me say this regularly, but I want, to, I want us in this room to love all of the Bible. I don't want us to have a Bible within the Bible that we really like and then other portions of the Bible that we don't like. And sometimes through through chapters and verses and books of the Bible, as we preach through books of the Bible, there are going to be passages that um, are head-scratching passages. There are going to be passages that don't fit into modern, uh, modern ideas. And they don't fit into uh, what is woke or what is PC today. And instead of being like, Ugh, I wish that was a little bit more correct by today's standards, I want us to be more quick to say, today's standards are crazy. Who cares about today's standards? And say, here's what God has to say. And so I don't want us to be embarrassed by the Bible at all. I never want to cringe or flinch when I hear God speak, and I don't want that for us today either. Today I'm going to be pre preaching Romans chapter 11, 1 through 10. I'm not preaching a system of theology. I'm preaching texts. And I don't ever want to try to preach perspectives without telling you. So in the next few weeks, I'm going to be saying things like, there are some people who see these things, these things this way, and others who see things this way, when we come to passages that are really confusing. But when we have passages that are, are plain, we just want to say what the text says. And so today, the alternative sermon title that I had for us, the sermon title is Chosen by Grace. But the other title I was going with is, is Election and the Epicenter of Grace. Election and the Epicenter of Grace. I love Bible words, and I think we all should, so I'm just going to rip the Band-Aid off again. There are words like election and predestination and... Um, just, just words that we don't need to be afraid of. And uh, those are among the most afraid of words in all of the Bible, where people just, and sometimes we just need to say, you know, when I meet somebody, I've told you before that I repeat their name like 10 times, like uh, Leonard. Okay, I met Leonard again this morning. And so when I was standing by Leonard, I was in my mind going, Leonard, 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 Leonard. So now I've got it Leonard, and then you just think Skinnerd, and then you don't forget, you know? <laughs> And sometimes with Bible words, Bible words that we're uncomfortable with, we just need to say them. Election, 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 or whatever it may be. Hell, 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 or salvation by grace, 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 grace. Or even words like obey, obey, obey. Words that uh, people who love grace sometimes are nervous about obedience. And we, if that makes us nervous, need to be able to say obey, obey, obey. And so we just want to be faithful to believe all that God has us to believe. So there's a big question. Look at verse 1 in 
chapter 11. I'll just read all the way down through verse 10. I ask then, as God rejected his people, that's what we're going to answer today, as God rejected his people, by no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what was God's reply to him? I've kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it. But the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a stupor, a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare, a trap, a stumbling block of ret and retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. This is the word of the Lord. Has God rejected his people? What's up with Israel? Have you wondered that before? Wherever you're at, people ask and wonder, and, and again, it's, it centers around prophecy and end time stuff, but have you heard people just talking about Israel all the time? It's Israel. We've heard this, we've wondered, and we've had questions, and I, I grew up with my grandpa, my dad remembers this, my grandpa had a big dispensational chart that went across, it was like a big leather thing that was about eight feet, what was that dad, about eight feet tall and 15 feet wide, and, a, and like a wire cord that went across the entire room and he could pull this thing out all the way across. Remember that? All the way across the room and he had this big thing here. And if you get my grandpa talking, he would def definitely talk and tell you all about it. And Twelve hours later, you'd still be about a quarter of the way done. I come from a long history of talkers, in case you didn't know. And so the question with Israel, has God rejected Israel? And Paul clearly says, by no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. So Paul uses himself as a case study. God hasn't, he hasn't rejected his people because I'm one of them. I am of Jewish descent. I come from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Jew of all Jew, a descendant of Abraham. And God's been faithful to me. He's not rejected me. You know, that word rejection is pretty important. We're going to come back to this. Has anybody ever been rejected before? Let's just show, uh, just show some hands. You ever been rejected or felt left out? Something like that? Now let me ask a harder question. Have you ever rejected somebody unjustly? You ever been the bad guy? I have. You know, we're all wanting to be more and more like Jesus. And part of that is confessing areas that we're not. And so we've been on both sides of this, this word rejection, and it comes with baggage because we've, it's personal. We've felt the sting of rejection, and we know about it. And Paul says that God has not rejected them, and so he's going to tell us and bring clarity to what he means. What does it mean that he has not rejected Israel? Verse 2a, look at this. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Now, he's going to clarify, and we're going to get back to two layers of what it means to be a Jewish person or an Israelite or a child of God. A Jewish person, an Israelite, or a child of God. What does this mean? What's Paul getting at? He's going to clarify why 
God has not rejected Israel. He's going to clarify what he means. And he says that God has not rejected the people he foreknew. Now, the foreknown, we go all the way back and we think about this word foreknown. We go, we go a couple chapters back and we remember that the Apostle Paul told us that those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, okay? He works all things together for the, for the good, for those who are called according to this purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined. And we talked about how even though God knows all things, there are some people that God foreknows in a way that he does not foreknow other people. To be foreknown the Apostle Paul says, is to be a child of God, to be foreknown. And so Paul says that God has not rejected those people he foreknew. The foreknown are the Israel God has not rejected. So it's the Israel within Israel. Now, we saw that there is corporate election. We say, who's God's chosen people? We all can answer and shake our head, Israel. We know that in the Old Testament. We see that Israel is God's chosen people. And Jacob and Esau both were ethnically a part of that corporately elected or chosen nation, Israel. Jacob and Esau were both a part of Israel, the chosen people of God. However, we got introduced to individual election that even though both Jacob and Esau were ethnic Israel, God loved Jacob and hated Esau. Jacob he chose for life, and Esau he did not. He foreknew some within Israel and did not foreknow all of Israel. And so this principle we see throughout the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, not all of God's nationally elected people were actually believers in the promises of God. Not all Israel actually had faith. That's why Paul says not all Israel is Israel. There is an Israel within Israel. A lot of this, if you've been here with us for a while, should be some repeat material. Not all the people in God's chosen people actually had faith in the promises. God chose Jacob and did not choose Esau. There were believing and unbelieving Israelites. So God has not rejected those whom he foreknew within Israel. He's not rejected them. And so he's going to bring clarity here. What does it mean for the rest of Israel then? If he's not rejected those whom he foreknew, then what's the deal with the rest of Israel? And here's what Isaiah is going to help us out with. Isaiah is going to help us, or excuse me, Elijah is helping us out with, and we'll get to Isaiah here in a little bit. Elijah is going to help, help us out with this, that God's people were not innocent, just like the rest of the world. I want you to look at verse 2b down through 3. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left. And they seek my life. Elijah, crying out to God, appeals to God with the nature of Israel's sin. All of Israel's sin. And he says, God, they've killed your prophets. They've demolished your altars. There's no one left here but me. And even me, they want to kill. They want me dead. They don't want to hear from you. And just like in Paul's day, like Israel in Paul's day, they didn't just reject the old prophets. They rejected and killed 
the prophet, capital the prophet, the Messiah, Jesus. The one they claimed they were waiting on, they killed. They killed the author of life. And Paul, responding back, it's interesting that even though that's the case, even though they killed the prophets, even though they demolished the altars, they didn't want to hear from God, and they even sought to kill Elijah, God replies, look at verse 4, But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Even though God's people had rejected him, God says there's 7,000 that did not bow a knee to Baal, and I have reserved them for myself. Even though they are not innocent, they have not bowed to Baal, and I have kept them for myself. And Paul says that's kind of what's going on here. There is a remnant within Israel that, okay, that's like today. They're, they are chosen by grace. And there's still a remnant today of Jewish people, of Jewish descent, chosen by grace. 7,000 did not bow the knee. And so Paul's telling us God has not rejected those whom he foreknow, foreknew, those he chose by grace. Within God's chosen people, Israel, is this foreknown elected people who are chosen by grace? And they did not bow the knee. And so there's still today a remnant of, you look up, just go type Jews for Jesus. And it's interesting, you'll see a friend of mine married the daughter of the man who's in charge of all the Jews for Jesus of Great Britain. Forget his name, but you, I could Google it quickly and find it. And there is an army of people from Jewish descent, Jewish descent who love Jesus and they're messianic. They believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They believe in Isaiah 53 and the suffering servant, that Jesus did in fact die in the place of sinners and come back to life. There is a remnant, just like those 7,000 who did not bow the knee, there is a remnant today chosen by grace and they have faith in Jesus. And God has not rejected his people. Now this is all by his grace, it's not by works. Nobody who is in the faith, nobody who is a believer can be a believer apart of apart from being saved by grace through faith. Look at 6. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would not be grace. I love this. I love God's grace. I really do. You know, it's interesting. It's almost like a, uh, you know, some people call it a grace awakening. I know that's the book that Chuck Swindoll wrote that really got Dan's heart. J.I. Packer, when he wrote the book Knowing God, focused in in his chapter on grace. And if you have no knowing God, flip, flip that book open. And it's about midway through the book. And it's like the first or second page on God's grace. And I love the quote. It's one of the best ones I've ever heard. But he said, there's, there's a part in a believer's life where all of a sudden you'll hear somebody and they'll just start talking about grace all the time. And it's not the frilly grace that just is like you go live how you want and you don't have to obey. It's the kind of grace that so captivates your heart that all you want to do is live for Jesus the rest of your life. Where you're motivated to obey. But the grace of God, usually it's like the gateway drug into God's grace is imputed righteousness. It's, it's like the gateway drug, realizing that the, the act of obedience of Jesus is given to me. It's counted to me. And when those light bulbs start going off, it's like a million, it's like you start walking in the matrix land of grace, where you just start seeing this stuff that you've never seen before. And then you turn to the pages of scripture and you're like, oh my goodness, how have I never seen this before? Anybody else, was your gateway drug into grace imputation of righteousness, imputation. Anybody else, or is that just me? Imputation, okay? 
Okay, imputation is just, if you're not familiar with the word, just familiarize yourself with the word. It's the fact that Jesus' life, when you become a Christian, you're not just forgiven of all your sins, but your, your bank account is given a full credit of Christ's righteous works. So you're counted as living the life that Jesus lived. That's given to you. And if you'll just get that one thing, that, that will keep your, your head and heart going the rest of your life. You'll never be the same. And there are countless believers throughout this land, people who are saved, who are converted, born again, and that, that has, they have no idea about the imputed righteousness of Jesus. It just it's, it doesn't register. It, and it's not anything to do about intellect. It's just not seeing it in Scripture and not taking God's word seriously. But if you'll get imputation, that's, that will get you into this crazy rabbit trail of grace that, that leads you in joy all the days of your life. It's amazing. But we are saved not by works of the law, but by grace. And so God's choice, then, of people within Israel to save, that remnant that is chosen by grace, was not based on the works of those people. God's choice to save the people of Israel who have rejected him isn't based on their works. It's crucial that we understand this. A salvation that's based on a person's doing, so God responding to something we do or do not do, is reward, not grace. For God to save someone based on the works that that person does or does not do is reward, not grace. Do you catch that? If God saves me because of something I do, it's a reward for something I do. And Paul's saying that's not grace. Grace is something altogether different. Grace is something that comes to the ill-deserving. It precedes Anything that we have or have not done. In fact, what we have done is evil, wicked, wrong. So grace comes to us in spite of us, not because of us. And the Holy Spirit's telling us if God's choice of people, the Israel within Israel, was based on anything in those people, like inside of them, then grace is no longer grace. And we're back to this offense of grace that we have talked about. This is why grace is so offensive, because so much of today, in today's world and talk, so much of what grace is, is actually nothing other than baptized karma with Christian lingo wrapped around it. It's understandable. It makes sense. Of course, God chooses those who choose Him. Or i got to clean myself up first before I can come to God, which is the typical sentiment of a lost person. Because their idea of what salvation is, is reward, not grace. So I'm going to clean myself up and make myself ready. And the Christian message is, you, you, you can't clean yourself up. You come to God with nothing but your sin or you don't come at all. We are saved by grace, not through works of the law. And the remnant of Jewish believers today who have faith in Jesus, those who have not bowed the knee to Baal, were not chosen because of themselves. And so Paul's saying, me and my other Jewish brothers and sisters are not saved by anything other than the grace of God. It's not by our works, it's by God's grace. 
And it's like Paul, as he repeats these themes for us, he wants us to see that if, if they did something that caused God's action, then there's nothing about that that is gracious. So salvation comes from down up, or, or from up down, not down up. And we've got, to, we've got to get this. I didn't get God to save me. And no Messianic Jew got God to save them. It wasn't something inside of them. It wasn't anything they contained. It was all a gift from God. It was a gift from God. True saving faith is a gift from God. If God does not exist, catch this, there's no such thing as faith. If God doesn't give it, there's no such thing as faith. Faith is not a human right. We talked about a few weeks ago how Bernie Sanders said high-speed internet is a human right. And, okay, and if you get any sense at all about you, you realize that how ridiculous that is. Faith is not a human right. It's not a part of what it means to be human. Vain belief, okay, uh, chasing after idols, worship is inescapable to the human experience. Worship of idols, false things, but faith is not inherent. It's not just a part of being human. Faith is supernatural, and it doesn't originate in us, real saving faith. It's a gift from on high. And what Paul's telling us here is that it's by grace. This group of people within Israel, they're chosen by grace. And if it's by that grace, if, if salvation is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would not be grace. And this may sound like a typical sermon, because we talk a lot about grace around here. But if, if this will like just unlock in your mind, this, these verses right here, chosen by grace, but if it's by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be, be grace. Friends, there's just so much joy for us in little verses like this. There's just so much joy in the graces of God that God gets all the credit for any Messianic Jew who's saved and for any Gentile who's saved. We don't get a half of a clap. We don't get to take one of them. If there's a hundred claps to give for salvation, it's not that God gets 99 and I get one. He gets all 100 of them. And we get to say to him, God, it's all by your grace. And there's so much freedom in that, to know that salvation doesn't originate in here. And when we evangelize, there's so much hope because we're not telling people, hey, if you'll just get what I got, if you'll understand what I understood, if you'll be like me, then you will have what I have. You will get what I've gotten, and you will receive what I've received. The message is, there's room to bow at the cross with nothing in our hands. And that's our call. If they did something that caused God's work, Paul's just hammering home, then that's not grace. So Paul, in his day, is probably thinking about, and we know about Paul, that Paul did not do anything, as he's using himself in verse 1 as the example. Think about Paul's conversions. Paul, Paul's conversion. Paul did not do anything to, for, to cause God to do anything other than judge him. Paul was trying to kill out, stomp out, squash out the message of Jesus. And it was as he was on the road to go 
and persecute more Christians and imprison Christians, God shows up, tells him how much he must suffer for the name of Jesus, and makes him the most effective missionary in the history of the world for a message he was trying to destroy. God knew what Paul was going to be doing before the foundation of the world. But thank God that he doesn't function or operate based on our actions. Because friends, if God operated based on our actions alone without intervening, we'd be all walking, walking, skipping, holding hands together, singing on our way to hell. Every last one of us. But God intervened with the Apostle Paul and other Messianic Jews by His grace, and He intervenes with us. I think this has implications for us. We're talking specifically about Israel and the Israel within Israel and God's faithfulness to His true people, the true people of God, which are those who are born again. We'll get into the national Israel in a little bit, but what we have to understand is that if you are a Gentile, if you are in Christ, everyone who is in Christ, they are the chosen people of God. You are the true Israel of God if you are in Christ Jesus. And so what we're talking about here, about the remnant chosen by grace, these things are true for us. Because what God has done, we see this in Ephesians chapter 4 or chapter 2, is He has broken down the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles and created one man. So what's said true, or what's true about these Jewish believers is also true about us as their brothers and sisters. If they have been saved by grace and not by works of the law, if they have been chosen by grace, we too have been chosen by grace, not because of anything we did or did not do. We have responded to God. God has not responded to us. And friends, I understand how offensive that sounds. It sounds so offensive in a world that beats their chest and raises their fists and burns their bras and, and, and claims to be... Modern people, it offends anyone to say, you can't do something. You don't have the ability to do it. There's nothing in you that can achieve it. That's offensive. We didn't get God to respond to us. We responded to God. Salvation starts with God, not in us. It comes from God to us. Look at verse 7. What then? Israel, a fail, Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. We see it so clear. Paul says it so clear. Israel, as the nation, the nation of Israel, failed, failed to obtain what it was seeking. That's why there's vain seeking, by the way. We talk about not who all who wonder are lost. Yes, they are. And not all who seek are truly seeking. Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking, but the elect obtained it. The rest were hardened. So before the foundation of the world, God elected to save, actually save, not just elected a nation, although he did elect the nation of Israel, so there's the corporate election. He elected to save Israel within Israel. There were people he chose to save by his grace through faith before the foundation of the world, that are part of the Jewish people. And that remains today. That's why any Jewish person who is saved is saved today. Because of God's grace and His election. And it says the rest were hardened. Now keep in mind, and this is, we're going to see here in a second, they were hardened by God. We get back to stuff we heard in Romans chapter 9. The, the hardening of God, which is so troubling to so many, 
I think is troubling for so many because we assume the innocence of people. When we hear God hardens the hearts of people, which he clearly does in the Bible, he hardened Pharaoh's hearts, he hardened the hearts of Israel, we assume that the people who were hardened were morally neutral or innocent. Therefore, God hardening innocent people would somehow be a violation of his holiness or the goodness of his character rather than an execution of his justice. The people who were hardened within Israel, the nation of Israel who rejected and murdered the Messiah, were not innocent people. They were not innocent people. It's not as if they were nice, loving people who genuinely loved God and cared about His Word and wanted to follow them all the days of their life. They rejected God, hated the gospel, they killed the prophets and killed the author of life. And then they were hardened. God hardened them. Only sinners can be hardened. Let me say it again. Only sinners can be hardened. So when we presume innocence on the world, we don't see God's justice. We think God should be judged. But when we understand the world's world's guilt, sin, and rebellion, we view God's hardening and say, God is just. God is just. And if I was one of the ones hardened, he would be just. He would be just. He would be right. So who are they hardened by? Clearly, here's what it says. As it is written, verse 8, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. God gave the Jewish people, Israel, the nation of Israel, a spirit of stupor. He gave them eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear. This is very reminiscent of Isaiah chapter 6, where God tells Isaiah, I want you to go preach to people who will not hear, they will not see, and they will not repent. And that's repeated when the apostles come up to Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and in the book of Acts. It's repeated, and they ask, why, why, why do they respond like this? Tell us the meaning of the parables. Why are people responding like this? And why do you tell the parables? And then Jesus, in answering why he tells the parables, he doesn't say because they're great sermon illustrations. He says... Isaiah chapter 6, to keep them in the dark. That was one of the first things that really bugged me up in college. Why would God, why would Jesus quote that and say that he tell, speaks to them in parables to keep them from repenting? Doesn't he want people to repent? He's just, what? I remember reading that and just wrestling. And me and Zach Lowe, he just kept going back, and Zach Martin just kept going back and forth, just confused. But here... We're told God gave them the spirit of stupor. He gave them eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear. And it lasts down to this very day. The nation of Israel still rejects Jesus. But those who are elect, chosen by God within Israelite bloodline, are saved by grace through faith. And God has not rejected them. His promises continue on in the elect people of God. This is not replacement theology. This is a recognition that there has been one people of God down through the history of the world. Those who are chosen by grace. And God is faithful to that people. 
Now, we must be careful as we read this not to apply the hardening of God in those people in our lives. In, in other words, we need to be careful that we don't look at people. We said this last week a little bit in the sermon, We Are Missionaries. But we need to be careful when we think that okay, God gave them a spirit of stupor. When it comes to the, the nation of Israel, but also when it comes to just people in general, we need to be careful that we don't put judgments on them and say, well, God's hardened them. I'm going to move on to the next one. There are categories here of, of things that are God's and things that we are intended to do. And we need to be careful that we know that we are not God. And we don't have God's knowledge. We are told that Israel, down to this day, has been given the spirit of stupor. But we also know that we are to proclaim the gospel to them because there's going to be some who hear, see, and believe. And we don't know who those people are. Those Jews are. Those messianic people are who are going to hear about this Messiah that their people long rejected and is going to believe. And so we tell them rather than being a fatalist. Because there's some people upon hearing the sovereignty of God or hearing these things that we're talking about over through, through chapters 9 through 11, there's some people who sinfully turn into fatalist or deterministic people. God's going to do what God's going to do. Why would I evangelize? Why would I even pray? These are things and postures that I have held in my heart and my head for years People who say, well, God's hardening them, what's the point? We are never to take the posture. The point is we're told to evangelize. We're told to obey. We're told that there's going to be people who repent and believe. We're told to spread the good news. We're given a mission and a commission. We're never told God is in charge, sit on your hands, just it's all up to Him. Get to work. If there's people chosen by grace, then we need to go out and tell them. Repent and believe. Because some are going to believe in Jesus. Some are chosen by grace. And we never want to play God and put our assessments on people. We don't know the things God knows. But Isaiah tells us something, and then David tells us something. Verse 9, David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and the retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. I've had an interesting relationship with the imprecatory Psalms for years, which is David saying things like, I hate my enemies with complete hatred. When you do your Bible reading plan and you're reading through the book of Psalms, you'll read imprecatory songs where, God is, where David's praying curses on his enemies. and It is a struggle because it seems so you know, counter what the Sermon on the Mount is, and it seems so antithetical to loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you, as David saying, literally, I hate them with complete hatred. That's a lot of hatred. <laughs> like, I hate them with complete hatred. And here, David says to us, let their table become a snare and a trap. Those people who have walked away, and Paul's using this to explain a stumbling block and retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened. If God's going to darken their eyes, let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. And so it's an interesting thing that we come to when we think about passages like this because it seems like Paul's using David as an example here to thank God for his hardening work. And I think there's something to that. I think there's something to that. Hang with me here about thanking God for His justice. Not just thanking God for His love. 
but thanking God that he would harden and punish the wicked. We should care more about the name of God than we do people. Okay? We should care more about the glory of God than we do people. Now that sounds weird, but it's biblical. We should care about God's name and God's renown and God's purposes more than we do people. When God is dishonored and disrespected, it should make us angry. When we see things on the news that are blasphemous, our television shows that are blasphemous, our Netflix movies that portray Jesus in a perverted sexual manner, there should be rage inside of us, should anger us. And we should be thinking God bring justice on the wicked. Because we want God honored. And when we see God blasphemed out of the mouths of people, we should feel in us this tension of wanting their salvation, but also God wanting God to bring justice. God, don't let your name be defamed like this. I care about you and your name, and I know you do, and I can't tolerate seeing your name being violated and dragged through the mud. You're glorious, and they're speaking of you in ways that are wicked and vile. Please return and fix this. We should care. It should make us upset. We should growl and snarl when we see our master attacked. We don't want to let God's name, we don't want God's name defamed. And I think what we're being told to think about and, and to proclaim is haters of God, be warned. Blasphemers, those whom God has hardened. We don't know who those people are other than the Jewish people as a whole. We know that there are people there that will be saved. But when we see the hardening work of God, we should be able to say, that's just. We shouldn't raise our fist and saying, God, you're unjust. We should not say, God, you are unjust to harden somebody's heart. We should say, God, you are just and they are unjust to rebel against you. We should praise him for his justice. And I think if we're going to be completely biblically faithful, as we praise God for his justice and we warn people about their blasphemy, we should also, through tears, say, please, reconsider, repent. Jesus is king. Bow your knee. And if you don't, he will come back and he will not come back as your friend. It is a dreadful thing, a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. God is holy and people have sinned against him. And those who arrogantly sinned against him will experience his wrath. And I think we could discover, I think we could rediscover as believers today the goodness of God's justice as much as we need to understand the magnitude of his love. When you major on one or the other, when you major on one or the other, then one or the other is lopsided and not fully biblical. And so we should say with David, 
Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. And we're going to see God intervene as we move forward through Romans 11. But before we do that, I want to answer Paul's question definitively. He answered it for us, and then he explained what he meant. And so we're going to get back to his original answer. Has God rejected his people? Depends on what you mean by his people. Israel, he has hardened as a nation. But those who are chosen by grace... Those who like the 7,000 who did not bow their knee, those who are born again, those who are chosen by grace, the elect of God, He has not rejected. And if you are in Christ, in here, Jew or Gentile, it makes no difference, then He will not reject you. And He has not rejected you. We get back to some personal elements. For those who have been rejected, abandoned, walked away from, had somebody in your life wash their hands with you. For those who have felt the sting of betrayal. We need to know, I think, that God will never reject His people. He will never reject you. As a believer in Jesus, you don't come into this thing wondering if God really is upset with you or if He has ulterior motives with you. As if He may change His mind or walk away from you. If you're in Christ, you are a part of the elect of God, chosen by grace. That means He has elected to save you before He made anything and He will never reject you. So for those who have had their back turned on, for those who have turned their backs on others, for those who have been unfaithful to God, for those who have not in their life honored Him in word, thought, and deed, for those who even after became a Christian, walking with the Lord and still struggling and stumbling with sin as they try to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit as best as they possibly can, who may have the lingering thought, will He ever turn His back on me? Will He ever reject me? And Paul definitively answers, He will not. The promise to the elect of God is that you will never be rejected. How do I know that I'm elect? Some would say. It's simple. Do you have faith in Christ? Then you're a child of God. 1 Thessalonians 1.4 For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. How do you know you're chosen? Because the gospel came to you. Not only word, but in power and with the Holy Spirit and full conviction. Do you love Jesus? Then he will never reject you. You're accepted by God. You are home. You're safe. You're secure. You'll never be treated like a second class citizen. He will never reject you. Here's the deal. Hear this. Jesus was forsaken. Therefore, you are accepted. Jesus was forsaken. Therefore, you will never be rejected. Jesus was forsaken. 
Therefore, you will never be forsaken. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your